0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my dilly dilly come <laughs> on.
1: Into Messi, It's a sharing and so sharring.
0: I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Carnin. Joining me for this episode is David Priest. David is a former goalkeeper with Sunderland, Aberdeen, Darlington Barnsley, played in Denmark with Silkborg and in Iceland with Keflavik. Uh, he also made the the natural progression from a goalkeeper to a goalkeeper coach, but then moved on to the journalism side of the game. So I'm not an, a goalkeeper fan. Anyone that's worked with me will tell you that my knowledge of goalkeeping is below average on a good day. But David is like my go-to with goalkeeper knowledge. His writing, uh, his articles, his insight on his social media is absolutely brilliant. Uh, because of the depth of where he goes to, he goes beyond generalizations. That was a bad mistake or such and such is uncomfortable with the ball to their feet etc and he goes into depth and he goes into way and i just love reading his work so i was really excited about getting them on here uh, not just to expose my knowledge of the goalkeeping but for a, probably from a selfish point of view for a little bit of education uh, and i'm really really fascinated to see where you know it doesn't take a genius to work out the the evolution of of technique from goalkeepers in terms of playing out from the back is off the charts these days so how has that been trained what's the steps to improve that there and and what's going on at the big club so i was really really excited to get david on the podcast um, i would advise you to to follow him on twitter and read his articles absolutely brilliant goes into quite a bit of depth here so Uh, Please, please, please give it a shout out on Twitter. Uh, Always appreciate the engagement. Tell me what you think. There's a few contentious issues here that we talk about, most notably the the walls, um, defensive walls and free kicks. So we'd love to hear your insight on this here, coaches. Um, Please, please, please give it a shout out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. So thanks so much for listening. Here's David and enjoy. David, thanks so much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast.
1: Pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure.
0: You're the first goalkeeper I've had on this show. Uh, a lot of people will be cringing because my, my knowledge of goalkeeping is absolutely awful. So <laughs> you're, you're here to educate the modern soccer coach masses.
1: Oh, hopefully I will do
0: that, mate. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Um,
1: David, how would you describe your journey as a player? It's probably one that started off where a lot of promise was hindered quite a bit by injuries initially. It's uh, at, at six-year Sunderland that were... Kind of blighted towards the end. With I broke my arm in the same place twice, and more or less kept the um, uh, kept me out of the game for about a year and a half. And and then from then it was just I think it's you, you put a lot of it down to just hard work. Um, I've always said that there was at the you know coming through as a as a kid. There's probably a better goalkeepers and, and better players that I've played with uh, along the way, but. I think just the fact that I've always had this, uh, as a player, I always had this sort of hard-working mentality. That um, and, and kind of a, a view that I'd, I'd never had a view that I'd, I ever made it. So whatever level I was playing at, I was I always thought no matter how old I got, even in, well in my thirties, I always thought you know I could improve and get better and look to get better. And I think it's kind of that, that sort of held me in good stead for you know. To, to keep me to keep me playing at the level i was people have this perception
0: of professional football as flash cars big crowds premier league wages but we probably overlook how difficult it is to have a professional career in the game at at all levels for 15 20 years
1: yeah i mean it's you know i probably been lucky where I've, I've straddled sort of like two two eras of, of football really because so sort of I started, I left school at 15 and joined Sutherland in 1992 and that was just sort of like the, you know, on the cusp of the, the new Premier League starting. So it was, I was still seeing a lot of the old school sort of, old school players and, and coaches and uh, there's been a real sort of, real sort of change over the last 20 years, especially since I started playing, real sea change and it was... So it's, in one way, it's good to have experienced both, but then also there's a little bit me that's a little bit sort of jealous that I didn't sort of, I wasn't born a few years later. So it's because of the advances that have been made, sort of especially in coaching and um, uh, because of the, you know when, when I first started, there wasn't a lot of goalkeeping coaches, specialist goalkeeping coaches around. And, and any work we did do was, it was basically just fitness and hard work, rather than anything great technical or anything that was analysed to a great degree. So it's, it's probably, I mean, if you can call it regretted, it is but.
0: So we've had a few people on who have almost played in an era that's bridged the gap between this this new type of professionalism, Premier League money, wages, foreign influence. Um, is there a part of it that that you miss of the old school?
1: Um.
0: Ca- characters, personalities, fun.
1: Yeah, there, there is that as well. But like I said, I'm I'm I probably somebody who, whenever there was any new advancements or there was anything anything that made the game more professional, I always sort of really grasped on it tightly because um, just of the way that I saw uh, saw the game and, and the the work ethic that I had that I I always wanted to get better, and I think. Yeah, we, we can look back at things through rose tinted glasses and maybe think that's, you know, maybe his players were a little bit honest and more hard working. But then there's also the the fact that when I first started, a lot of the players would sit in the pub on a Tuesday afternoon and we'd go and play cards. And, and, and to be honest, that was, it, it, had, its, uh, it had its positives because it, it sort of brought the team closer together uh, just as people, but uh, of course it's, it's going to have a detrimental effect physically as well. So, I, I mean, I'd rather weigh th- things on now than in that respect than they were then. they were. One of your
0: blogs when you retired, I just, this this quote jumped out at me in a line in one of your old blogs. If the truth be told, I wish I'd been brave enough and retired two years ago when I left Barnsley, instead of clinging on to, hanging on to the coattails of my playing career, like a pucky, puppy dog desperately clinging to its owner as he prepares to leave the house. The trouble is, I still love football. Even though I know it doesn't feel the same about me, it's a bitter pill to swallow. That's like, I think that screams at every. The game has kicked everyone out at some stage, hasn't it? As a player.
1: Yeah, and I, I always um, whenever it came at a time when I was sort of either going to change clubs or my contracts up or you know that's you know that weren't going to be renewed. I always had the feeling that I had to play at the highest level, regardless of whether I was number one or number two. So when I came back from Denmark um, to, to join Barnsley, I kind of knew that I wouldn't be number one, but I'd be, I'd be fighting, I'd certainly still be fighting for the place. But it was important to me that I was being tested every day in training. So going back, I you know, I it could have come back to a league one, league two club. In sort of and played games, but came back with Championship club in Barnsley, and just uh, and wanting to make sure that, that the, if I was if I wasn't going to play, the motivation was still there because I'd be training every day with very good players. And if you're not 100 percent on it every day when you're playing with very good players, you'll get embarrassed. And and that was kind of it was a motivation for me to to, to keep going, especially towards the end of my career, because once I left Barnsley. I had a couple of opportunities to go to, to a couple of league clubs that fell through, and end up coming to to Lincoln. They give me the opportunity to to play for them and coach. But to be honest, um, and I, I've, I've, no, I've I've got no embarrassment saying this that making that drop down, which was f- three divisions down from where I've been playing, the the motivation just wasn't there. Mm. Um, it, you know, the it was you know, go to different surroundings and sort of not being as many people there. And it it did, it did affect me. And it was, like I said, once that happens, you always, you still always have the thought in your mind that I can get back to a level. This is just, it's not a permanent thing. I've still got three or four good years left in me. I can get back up again to the top and, or get back to a higher level. Uh, but you just, you're, you're constantly fighting against yourself. And like I said, I was coach, I was sharing yeah. responsibilities at the time. I was coaching at the time, which made it a little bit harder. So you, you, you have all your focus isn't sort of just on your playing. in it. yeah, it became difficult. And, 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 and like I said, I, I, I wish I just drew a line under my career because it just sort of just seemed to fizzle out by playing the odd game here and there when, you know, when, when I was needed.
0: I've always found as a, as a coach, especially as a head coach, I've always found that the more the goalkeeping has progressed in terms of the, the training and the, the technical aspects of it, the, the more disconnected I've become with my goalkeepers as a head coach. Um, almost that we speak a different language, even small. I would struggle then, to, it would be a real job for me to, to strike up a conversation about football with them. Um, have, did you notice uh, or have you experienced a disconnect with head coaches that you've
1: worked with? I think that's um, it's probably it's probably the other way around for me a little bit. I think the fact that you know, the, you know, sort of my first half of my career when, you, you know, you, you you do spend a lot of time away from the team, so you'd spend a good hour or something with with the goalkeeping coach, just doing goalkeeper specific stuff, and there wasn't really a lot of sort of interaction. It probably wasn't until. A manager called Jimmy Calderwood took over it at, uh, at Aberdeen. Um, he'd sort of started coaching career in Holland. He played in Holland and managed a couple of clubs over there. He started to get the goalkeepers into, into the, all the passing drills, all of the um, okay. possession uh, sessions, and um, and then when I moved to Denmark, that was a, that was a real eye opener because it, we literally, I mean, we we trained. It was always double sessions, but the goalkeepers more or less trained maybe two three sometimes four times a day because you doing your goalkeeper specific stuff but you're also joining in with all the outfield stuff as well and uh, i quite enjoyed playing outfield and it was it was um it was great it was it's exactly what was needed because that's the way the goalkeeper was going there's been this progression into sort of where shot stopping and and what old school specific goalkeeper stuff has become less relevant and now we're you know goalkeeping coaches themselves are becoming more all-round coaches so if if you go on a goalkeeping coaching course now very little of it is actually you know goalkeeper drills or the classic goalkeeper drills it's a lot lot more to do with teamwork and tactical work and and how a goalkeeper fits in tactically with uh, the rest of the side.
0: Mm. Do you think goalkeeper coaches are spending enough time with back fours
1: and on the training pitch? No, not at all. And I think that's the big problem. That's uh, it, you, you find the, the complaints it's it, on these coaching courses are that the, the fact that we do all this work to gain and gain uh, certificates and badges that do encompass all of this teamwork, that do encompass, um, you know, sort of how to, you know, you know, you put in, even if you put an attacking sessions towards a goal, how the you know, how the goalkeeper reacts tactically to that and, um, in, in different situations, but very rarely, in even in full time football and professional football, do you get the opportunity to to work with great numbers? And um, that's changing. It, it is changing a lot of clubs, and and it'll, it'll change it further. But at the minute, it's, there's not enough work goes into that because we always say that relationships between defenders and goalkeepers are very important, and that can only be sort of. Um, Sort of nourished by by playing games together, but you can also do a lot of work in, in um, in 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 training as well, and and some of that's been lost. I mean, you know, you got people like George Graham who used to work extensively on the back four and defensive units and goalkeepers, and you do it every day. And um, maybe that's going to, that's going to a little bit of an extreme, but goalkeepers certainly and goalkeeper coaches, they need to be more, uh, integrated more into that, uh, in, into the sort of sort of holistic team uh, process.
0: You know, the, obviously the goalkeeping, the demand, technical demands of the goalkeepers has risen dramatically in the past 10, 15 years. What, what specifically do you think is the biggest, is the toughest thing for a goalkeeper to master technically? <sighs> it's a
1: bit of a tough question. Though. I mean, uh, things have gone, the way I've, even the way that I've looked at things, you know, you, you, and you get to sort of your mid-twenties and you've got some good experience you've played quite a few games and you you think you have an idea about how you you know if you would become a manager at that stage how you would set up how you would co- you know if you're going to be goalkeeping coach how you would coach and that all changes because football's it's sort of it's morphing all the time and it's different and, and evolving all the time and i think that's um for me i i i got so sort of into the technicalities of goalkeeping sometimes it probably is it was a hindrance really simply because you know sometimes you you get lost in thinking about what you should be doing technically instead of actually what's required in the game and um and it certainly happened when i was in Denmark because i was out of the sides in the last year uh, at Odense but i had a great education that year gave me a great education technical education working with a coach called Tom Sterabo and they went into so much minute detail and I took a lot of that on board and, and sort of took that into my coaching itself. And, um, but then also now that I'm totally away from playing and, and sort of coaching and doing the media side of stuff as well, I'm still learning about different different ways of other people doing it. And the way the goalkeepers now are seen. you know, look someone like Edison, who we now see is um, the future of goalkeeping, how we, how we see the future of goalkeeper going those technical details and the the sort of shot stopping aspect of of goalkeeping is becoming less relevant in how, you know, what becomes a great goalkeeper. And it's more to do with sort of what you do with the ball, your feet, how you position yourself uh, in relation to the ball and, and making decisions and, and actions that uh, contribute towards you not having to make saves at all, actually.
0: Mm. I'm, I'm, personally, I'm just fascinated by the, by the decision making aspect of it. So looking at your, again, you had, you had a quote in one of your blogs that said a keeper should know the strengths and perhaps more importantly the weaknesses of his teammates so he can adjust his positions and actions accordingly. So his his focus now extending beyond the ball and then towards the game. So we think of decision makers in football. We think of Xavi's and the Estes Pierlos. Are we now in an era where we're moving towards the, the goalkeeper making some of the, the most important decisions on the pitch?
1: Certainly. And I think, you know, more than anybody, Pep is pointing towards that. And, and he's always saying that if he's, um, you know, Edison is just an important part of, of them creating chances than anybody else in the way that he starts. Uh, starts off moves, but... Um, but it, it, it's it, the way that goalkeeping is evolving now that it's because we got so technically into, uh, into, it, uh we got into technique so deeply and in so much detail that it becomes too rigid. And if there's anything that uh, football is itself is rigid, no two circumstances are the same, no decisions that, you know, the, the opposition make are the same and football really, to a certain degree is chaos, you can you can put a certain amount of, you know, your plan together and structure in the game, but decisions that other people take, you you know, quite a lot of time, you you can't, uh, you can't foresee. So you, it's rather than rather than concentrating on what is the last part of the process, the last part of any process for a goalkeeper is the save itself. And there's so much more that goes on beyond that, uh, before that. So what you've got to do is, can you train the decision making? Can, can you can you uh, can you recreate situations in, in a training session that require you to make decisions very quickly and in uh, and, and, and under pressure situations. Rather than just being focused on just a, a goalkeeping coach kicking the ball at the goalkeeper, that's where that's where goalkeeping is developing now, and I've learned so much over the last few years just talking to the different goalkeeping coaches um, who were and, and, and people like Tim Dittmer, at the who's head of goalkeeping development at the F.A. It's not so much about like I said um, concentrating on the what's the last part of the process, which is the save everything that goes in before that and preventing the save happening, making decisions where you're threatening the, the ball and threatening the decision-making of the opposition and, and then putting yourself uh, in an environment, training environment where you can train, making those decisions so that when it comes to games you're more comfortable making them and they, they become more second nature. Mm. So let's, let's talk on
0: the, the training aspect, you, you mentioned that recreating this, so as a coach I take it these South American uh, YouTube videos of the boy diving over a, a seven-foot rope, making saves back and forth, isn't the way to recreate this?
1: Well, well I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's got some relevance into what they do, but the, the one danger with, with looking at these um, with clips on YouTube is that uh, more often than not, there's no context to what they're doing. So the coach isn't explaining the, what in an ideal world the, the coach would come out and explain is this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it because it's um, uh, this is the end result we want. So then it's uh, rather than just something that looks good and uh, we'll get a lot of clicks. Uh, 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 it was, it was first of all, it, sort of, it was a couple of years ago, I think it was it might have been the last World Cup. I think uh, the Costa Rican goalkeeper coach put uh, some um, videos up with Kayla who who's a very good goalkeeper, he was an excellent goalkeeper. But a lot of it was kind of, it was all sort of like forward rolls and uh, p- situations where you end up facing your own goal and having to make uh, saves from rebounds that would come back from the goal. And I was thinking, well, none of this it it, it probably has a purpose with agility with the reactions um, adapting to sort of you know turning in different positions but none of it was really game relevant and I think that's probably the most important thing for me is about recreating things that will actually happen in the game Um, and you know there's all sorts of other drills and and, and, you know we've seen uh, Thibaut Courtois a few weeks ago doing a reaction one with um, with ping pong balls and mm. being fired at them and things, like I said it's yeah they they have their they have their um, the reasons for doing it. But like I said that I prefer something to be to be more relevant to the game. So
0: obviously, there's a technical side of training as a goalkeeper coach. There's also the I suppose the soft skills needed, um, the empathy, etc., etc. What what you, what makes a great goalkeeper coach in terms of the personality?
1: I think as a as a goalkeeping coach, the best quality you can have for yourself, and it probably goes for any coach really, is to be adaptable, and, and not to not not to be rigid in uh, in your work. So I think quite often, especially early on when you get the uh, the, uh, the first goalkeeping coaches that were that were coming through, sort of I don't know, twenty years ago, or when they, you know there was, was more prevalent they were very rigid so this was the we work with the with uh, the same way with every goalkeeper they work with and that's that's something that's you know you, you can't force sort of um, squares into into oh. circle holes you know it's oh you've you've got to look at the goalkeeper and assess them for you know the qualities they have, the deficiencies they have, and then work on that. And then, as a coach, you build up a big repertoire of of techniques and drills that um, you know that can suit them and make them the best goalkeeper they can be, rather than make them this one type of goalkeeper that's uh, that or like a rigid template that you have for goalkeepers. And I think that's probably the best quality. You can have.
0: Which goalkeeper coach had the biggest influence on you, and why? Oh.
1: I think a, a lot of them that I've had, have, they've all had their own influences. When I was younger, I was at Sunderland and in Darlington, I was, uh, I had Jimmy Montgomery, a sort of legendary goalkeeper. Yeah. Sunderland goalkeeper from the, you know, made a du- brilliant double save and then the yeah. 73 cup final. And um, he, he, he kind of saw me that I was kind of a, a similar, similar style uh, to what he was when he was playing. Very sort of, relied a lot on, uh, sort of, I had very quick well quick feet and sort of good reactions and it was similar team and so we did a lot of drills that that were new to me rather than just be having somebody kick the ball at me and, and do these very basic drills. we looked at a lot of technique and and kind of sort of um worked on my strengths and so and, and that was good because I got, I got a lot of confidence from that as well but um, and then I went to Aberdeen and uh, uh, Jim Layton, who just had this wealth of experience. It was just the next level. He played in four World Cups. He'd won European trophies at Aberdeen, played at Manchester United, played on the Fergie at uh, at Aberdeen as well. And and also not just wealth of the experience of playing, but he had a wealth of experience of of good and bad times as well. So there was a time when I first went there that things weren't going well, and uh, I was struggling for form. and. I' uh, struggling with the, the step up in quality because I mean the, the week that I went to, to Aberdeen, I was prepared for a game in in sort of league two against Halifax town on the Saturday, and then it all changes and then I'm playing against Celtic on the Sunday and live on TV with against Henry Glass and Martha dugan it was It was a big step up for me straight away, so I'd struggle with that and as important as any training there was probably two lessons that I learned with Jim Leighton was one that's it, you know his his work ethic suited me as well because I, I just love to work hard and I always thought that when things weren't going great that was a great way of getting you know getting frustrations out just by you know working really hard but also there was the the, the experience that he'd had the, the the bad experience he'd had and and that he, not only the bad experience he'd had, but he'd come through them as well it was great just to sit and chat with him, and um, you know, for him to share his experiences and and become more of a, as much as a psychologist and a therapist as a uh, as a goalkeeping coach. And kind of, I think that's a big part as well. You you know, you have to you, you become. Uh, it's a very personal relationship between a goalkeeper and a goalkeeping coach, and you have to. And of course, you have to keep that professional distance, but also there's the you have to um, you ha- you have to be able to judge things right and and to know what's what people need. and it's something that I think it's lost in in sort of general coaching that as, as a first team coach or a, an assistant coach or a manager you I don't think you really get that one v one contact and be able to give enough the, the time that a lot of players do need I think it could benefit from that and that's why I always think um, going into or in, in football now, you could learn from, we could learn a lot from American football, from NFL, because, you know, they have the departmental coaches. And I think if you had that in, in football clubs more, that uh, they would benefit from that, because like I said, they, they'd give them more personal, uh, not just technical and um, uh, technical work, but also, um, Tactical and and, psych- and work with them psychologically as well. Yeah. Jim Leighton was that was one of the most ruthless decisions, and I
0: remember I was ten years old at the time before the cup final, and if yeah. that if that had to happen today, we'd be, Twitter would blow up if a manager threw he threw in Les Sealy, didn't he, and who'd never played or he played only a couple of games. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, it, it was it was. Uh, I mean, I was probably only about. I 13 about thirteen, fourteen at the time, and he, and he even remember it's you know vividly then, and it was great to get his take on him because I mean it did have a great effect on him, you know, mm. um, it had a huge effect, and it, it, I mean he did get I mean, it was a long road back for him because he had a couple of years where he was, he went to Sheffield United on loan, Arsenal on loan, and then ended up going back to Scotland and. Mm-hmm. From professionally hitting rock bottom, he got himself back into uh, into the Scotland squad and went to the '98 World Cup in France. The Scotland's number one, so it, it's it's a great story of um, you know suffering a, a huge professional setback, and it, it's a you know it's a great example to anybody really. Because I mean, like you said, it's there can't be much worse things that could happen to you then. Um basically being made a scapegoat for. For your team, sort of drawing drawing to a, an underdog like that, it was um, yeah, it was it, it was probably just a tough well, it was a tough time for. Yeah. random fact:
0: I was actually at that cup final, the first game, the three three. Really? Yeah, yeah. My dad took me over, so uh, I thought that's that's why I know nothing about goalkeepers. It was born there. I thought he had a decent game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? I said it. It, uh, it probably wasn't uh I don't, know. I, I, I don't know the reasons why um, why he did it obviously he, he made the right decision he made a lot of good decisions I mean it's Alex Ferguson I think can trust his decision making whenever he makes one like that but like you said it was uh, it did seem very very harsh
0: Alright defensive I love this topic here defensive walls so again I'll, I'll quote I'm, I feel like I'm reading one of your audio books here I'll, another quote <laughs> from you from free kicks further than 25 yards out walls are more trouble than they're worth you still stand by it?
1: Yeah, I do. I think, um, especially it's um, it's at the top level. You know, you you still got expert goal uh, expert free kick takers. So from that distance, if somebody's going to beat you from from there, um, it's it's you know it's it's going to be a tremendous strike, and there are people pay- players capable of doing it. But from a goalkeeper perspective, I always like to see. As much as the ball as possible, and uh, like I've said in the piece I've written about it, it's, you know, even if you've got a if you've got a free kick from thirty yards out, and you put the wall up, and there's that many players, and you can't really get a good sight of the ball, and you only see that ball as it comes over the wall, then it's not really a thirty-yard free kick; it's a twenty-yard free kick. Not only is it twenty-yard free kick, it's coming at you at a quicker pace. Uh, it's already it's already traveling. Uh, Quickly towards you, so it's it. Your reaction time is, is greatly reduced, and um, uh, it, of course they have the they have the their use as well when it's close around the around the box. You, you you probably need it then. But like I said, it's 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 much better for for a keeper to to have a, a sight of the ball, and so and and not just a sight of the ball. If you have a look at how the the the, the players strike in the ball. So even his approach before he strikes the ball, can, you can pick up a lot of tells and a lot of signs where the ball might go and how he's going to strike it and whether you, you've got enough time to move your feet and, and how you're going to deal with it. So I personally, uh, and this all came from when I was working in Denmark and with a manager called, uh, man called Vigor Jensen. He was very innovative in, in the way that he... he um, he practiced set pieces both defensively and and offensively as well, and you know around the box we always had a split wall. So instead of having a, a four-man wall, we'd have two two men walls which were placed to guard the inside of each post, and then I would I would be stood in the centre of my goal, and 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 I was it was strange at first it was alien to me because I felt vulnerable on both sides, but in the in I think the. In the three years I was there, we I think we 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 conceded one goal direct from a free kick, and even then I probably should have saved it. So it, and, and that's another thing now that's that's changing set pieces, but, you know, for too long of set pieces, long throws, free kicks, set, uh, corner routines. They've been associated with direct football in mm-hmm. sort of Neanderthal early 80s ta- uh style football where the. The, the defense of people, uh, uh, the defense of, of, of people who who don't um, who, who don't practice step pieces. They all say, "Oh, well, you you only score for them, I don't know one in, one in every two hundred corners, one hundred fifty corners, or something like that. I don't know what it is. I can't remember the, the, the exact figure." but that's only because people don't put enough effort into okay. practicing the free kicks and coming up with a, a, a range of um okay. a range of set pieces to make sure that they can be more effective with with set pieces
0: do you think the resistance to try it is from coaches or is it from goalkeepers
1: i think it's just down to basically down to time and you obviously get the it's the old line that's uh, the The managers and coaches trot out or have trotted out in the past about oh well, we don't want uh players to be stood around after training for ten fifteen minutes, you know a lot of them not not doing anything, and mm. uh, they get bored easily and start complaining when that that was the difference in mentality when I was in Denmark where everyone was totally switched on everyone was focused on what they do they wanted to learn they wanted to make sure that their their routines went went well and they got them practiced so they knew the benefits, because they knew the benefits when they go into games i think that's that was one big hindrance as well and uh and that's the players as well really, as much as is the coaches because they should know the the value in it and and not start mourning and, and whinging when um when we start practicing set pieces, but that's that is the main reason because it takes time but like I said in Denmark we practiced them every day and it was just 10 minutes every day it didn't have to be a big session so people didn't get bored easily it was literally just go through each situation do one or two and then just move on and so it lasted about 10 minutes that was it let's
0: talk about the mental side of goalkeeping do you think again we talked about the technical side where we're kind of moving towards decision makers are we still stereotyping goalkeepers i suppose as as a coaching generation are we still stereotyping goalkeepers as the the kind of Bruce Grabbler antics, thinking that they're all strange and weird without considering the mental pressure that we put on goalkeepers at at almost every level
1: yeah uh, there has been a a, a big shift um simply because I think we, we got sort of conned into this and, and I was, I was certainly one of them as well. We, we got conned into this idea that everybody should be like a Peter Schmeichel, should be like a real dominating, shouting and bawling aggressive, um, leader from the back when really, um, that was something that was unique to him and it was unique to him because he could do that and he could be that way and he could look like he was losing his temper, but he was ice cold inside. And he never let that, um, you know, if he was having an argument with his defenders or he was berating his defenders, it never affected his mental state really. Whereas I think unless you are steely strong in your mentality, if you've got a really strong mentality, then if you start doing that, if you start losing your losing your temperate referees, defenders, getting involved with other players, opposition players, um then you you start losing your that's when you lose your concentration and if you if you get yourself so angry about a, just about a a bad decision by the referee if you get yourself so angry that you're shouting and swearing at a referee for the next couple of minutes you you can't regain your composure or it 's not easy to go regain your composure and if there's one thing that any player on the uh on the pitch needs never mind a goalkeeper it's it's composure and if you can stay calm if you can stay composed the more likely it is you're going to make those good decisions once you start getting uh, letting you, yourself become angry and getting involved with other things and and letting the, the game take over you instead of staying in control that's when you start making rash decisions that's when you start making mistakes uh, and that's when you're you're you become less consistent you become more erratic in in your play it's far better to be like a. You no, know, we're, we're we're talking about Manchester United goalkeepers here. It's, it's that's it's just a coincidence. Yeah. But I'd much rather have a Va- Edwin van der Sar or a David de Gea, somebody uh, goalkeepers who are calm yet still have that authority, and um, and you gain that authority by being calm and keeping the people in front of you. and then I I got in I got it I fell into the trap as well as thinking that I had to be a hundred percent up for every game. I had to sort of uh, if my emotions were on a scale of one to ten, I thought that'd be right up at nine or a ten emotionally to be sort of really up for it and to be really aggressive in my game. But it's not the way. It, what I, and I found out probably too late in my career that I was better off being at a five or a six, just being more placid um, and keeping things on a, on a level all the time don't get too down when something negative happens don't get too high when something really good happens try and keep the level all the time and that's where you'll, you'll find if you keep consistency in your mentality like that and in your, your demeanor and stay calm you're more likely the rest of your game is going to stay like that as well
0: is, would that be the advice you would have for a, a goalkeeper? Not even a goalkeeper, coach, a head coach, to try and develop that mental toughness slash mental resilience? Would it be just a, that simple thing of don't get the the highs too big, don't get the lows too big?
1: Yeah, I played with a, uh, a keeper called Peter Kerr who's who came to Aberdeen for about eighteen months when I was there, and um, he was a very experienced goalkeeper. He won a couple of Danish title, Danish league titles. He played, he went to Turkey and Besiktas. And he was number two to to pitch in, in the national team and for a long time, and he was and he was very much like that. Of course, he still lost his temper from from time to time. That's going to happen. you can't stay on control all the time. sometimes it is needed, but if you if you keep it to a minimum and use it sparingly, that's when it's more effective really, if you lose your temper people. But he always said that you just keep it, keep the same level all the time. And and it was something that I learned from him. Learned a lot from him because it was. I was probably going into my late twenties then, and, and I wish I'd, I wish I'd met him earlier and, and got him to tell me that before because it was it was true. And to be honest, I, I lost a little bit of enjoyment from from the game. I lost a little bit of enjoyment because because you, you get used to that adrenaline. You get used to that sort of the downs as much as the highs. it, it, it is like a it's like a drug. So once you become, you, you try to stay in control, and you become a little bit robotic. You, you do lose a little bit of the enjoyment yeah. because I think that's the emotion is is part of it as well. But I certainly found that my my performances became more consistent uh, over a longer, a longer period of time. But, but yeah, there's there's also another thing that you've seen about um, the mental resilience as well. That that can be, um, I really think that. Um, that can be worked on in training simply because there has to be a balance between um, casting sort of castigating people and criticizing and making sure they keep high standards and also against dwelling on mistakes. I think that certainly when I was a young goalkeeper, any mistake that was made uh, in a training session was always jumped upon, so it, it breeds a fear. And once you get a fear in your, in your game, then that's that's not as good. Especially for goalkeepers, I think it's really important when when mistakes happen in, in training with goalkeepers. It shouldn't be a big thing. They should just the the coach should move on very quickly unless it becomes a problem and then you have to go back and you take a step back and you rectify that and you do drills and um, and do and work on what is going wrong to correct them but certainly when it comes to um, a, a confidence issue or, or not or taking the fear out of the game that's important part of, of a goalkeeping coach as well being able to to make sure that goalkeepers move on from mistakes so it doesn't affect the next action after the mistake yeah
0: the Robert Enke book, A Life Too Short, one of the most powerful books I've ever read. I had, I had no idea that, so I suppose, in, in mental illnesses, I had no idea people, never mind athletes, went through those types of battles. Um, how did it feel reading it as a goalkeeper?
1: It was, um, you're right, it was, it's, it's very moving. And even the, I mean, the first, even the first chapter, you know, with, with his daughter and and his wife it's it was it was hard for me to, to go on after that really and you know you can I, I think a lot of goalkeepers can empathise with, with the things that he was thinking and the way that the way that um, the pressures that's, that he put on himself and it's not unique to goalkeepers I know I've read a lot about um, quite recently about Johnny Wilkinson the English rugby player mm-hmm. um, who is he's he He won a world cup for england he's he's uh, he's been the the best in the world at what he does he's he's reached the pinnacle of his sport yet there was times when even just going out to play a club rugby he wanted to be anywhere as he's walking out the tunnel he wanted to be anywhere apart from walking out of that stadium or walking out of that tunnel going out the pitch once he's on the pitch he was fine but the, in the build up he you know i even thought about faking injuries and 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 I can associate with a lot of that and a lot of the the Robert Englund book as well because it is you, you you it becomes so everything in football becomes so important to you and you it becomes such a huge part of what of who you are not just about what you do but who, the person that you are you're inest- inextricably linked with with being a goalkeeper that's and I, I know that I've went into sort of the media afterwards now and and it's a different it's it's, it's a different life from a footballer but I'm st- I'm still there as a as a goalkeeping pundit or known as the ex goalkeeper and these part of you and when when you come away from that when you stop playing there is a hole there there is there is something missing and you you go through a period of bereavement and yeah it, it's it, it, there's so many aspects to it that that you can uh that you can associate with and it's it's extreme, it's, re- it's real extremes and, and that's what we don't, we don't, uh, people maybe from outside of the game and don't appreciate really that you put everything into this yeah, and it, it's difficult and it's really difficult to, to separate sort of real life and football life as well. No, I'm working on something with uh, somebody at the moment about going into to talk with, Young professional footballers to try and make sure that they have something outside of football because it can be, uh, you know, it, it just having that so focused, you, you get you get yourself into a mindset that you need to be like that. You need to be sort of hundred percent focused on this because you won't you won't achieve what you want to. And and there might be some truth in that as well, but it can be damaging as well. And certainly for me, the the standards that I set for myself and that I wanted to reach were probably way higher than the talent that I had um, that would would ever get near to, and sometimes that can be toxic because you you know like I say if if you're never reaching that level, uh, you, you you sort of you, you're always you're always disappointed by by what happens really, but at the same time that like I said earlier earlier on in uh, earlier on today it's sometimes just having, having those um, those standards and reaching for them and almost like never thinking that you're good enough. It makes sure that you keep trying to progress all the time and, and that you don't sort of step back and take your foot off the gas. So it's it's a difficult one uh, to, to sort of try and balance really.
0: Your decision to move into journalism, uh, you mentioned just before we went on air about doing a little bit of coaching as well. Um, was that done with not getting the buzz was it done with a little bit of disillusionment with the game or was it done with just the passion that you had for the writing
1: no i, I hadn't really come disillusioned with it Um i said that sort of it, it coming to you know coming to lincoln and, and coaching here and uh, coaching at lincoln and, and and playing at the same time played about i don't know a dozen games and it just because, like I said, because the 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 drop in the level and it it just I didn't didn't feel motivated, didn't feel tested, and and sort of like that just became a sort of a gradual decline and I think and that well maybe maybe it's it's, it's best if I stop now and then the coaching I I, I love coaching I, I, I done my first coaching qualification with the Scottish FA in two thousand and four when I was still at Aberdeen and um, I think it was probably about twenty eight then and um, and I, it's something I've, I've, I've always you know always looked at I've, I've always if I was in a training camp somewhere I'd always try and go and see the local team or if there's other teams training go and see the other goalkeeping coaches train try and pick up things get videos uh, all VHS um, tapes on on the internet or tr- whatever it was, I wanted to try and learn more. And, and, and that's what I think about it, why goalkeepers are such valuable uh, analysts of the game, really, because I think we, even during the game, because we have that time where we we're not involved, where we're watching the game and there might be, you know, we we'll go minutes without touching the ball. There's that time to analyze things during the game. Sometimes that can be negative if, uh, you know, if, if, it's, if you're dwelling on mistakes, but also gives you a chance to sort of analyse what's going on in front of you and, and try and um, assess how, how you could change things to make, you know, if things aren't going great, that you can make things better. And I think that's we become natural analysts, and more than anybody, after a game, we're the ones who analyse what we've done the most, or we have done in the past, certainly, before we've moved into this new generation of uh of analysis now, it's so much more in depth. I think naturally, before, even when I was younger, you looked at your game a lot more and what you could improve and what was going wrong. Mm. But, um,
0: we're looking for complexity here all the time, aren't we? Almost today, we're looking for this new, we're looking for the difficulties when really, the, sometimes the answer is black and white in front of us.
1: Well, well this is the thing sometimes, I, as, a, as a player and as a coach, when I, when I was going away, I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, when I was in Denmark, I went down to Schalke and Hamburg quite a bit to watch them training. And you're always looking for like, you're always looking for the magic pill. Mm. You're always looking for the, the one drill that they do that, uh, or the, the one exercise or the, something in training that they do that it's, it makes the difference between them and us. It, it makes difference between sort of elite, uh, elite keepers and, and, the, and the rest of us because it, 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 there was no question that for a time, it, it, we, were, we did fall behind everyone else and it's only been recently we've started producing top class goalkeepers again uh, on a consistent level anyway and you always look for that magic pill something that's going to going to change the way that you think and do you know what quite often it was just pretty basic doing exactly the same stuff a few things were a little different they did some things a little differently Um. so in that respect like i said you you are you're, you're looking for that that different detail that's, that that might change things, but in Denmark, that's what I did get. I did get that from from a guy called Tom Sterabo with the the detail that, that he went into with it, with all his techniques.
0: All right, last two questions for you. Best player played with.
1: Ah, oh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I did have I, I had a few months at Sunderland with Chris Waddle. Ah. Oh. And yeah, exactly. And and even then, he was thirty six at the time, but he was just a, a phenomenal footballer, like you know. And it was, it was brilliant. Just sharing, sharing a change of room with him, really.
0: Best player played against.
1: It's quite a, it's quite a long long line of these. Most of them have scored past me as well. So. <laughs> but... them. Um, I think I I probably have to say Henrik Larson, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I I played against sort of a lot of like uh, a lot of top class players. I mean I remember when I was at um when I was at Aberdeen we played eighteen sixty Munich and they had Thomas Hassler playing for them. Yeah. And and, and Thomas I mean, I think he did he win the World Cup in nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And um he he was he was sort of come to he was of his and he was absolutely phenomenal, you know, and it was that was that's what I loved about going on training camps, going and you know winter training camps or preseason training camps, playing against a lot of or playing European games, playing against sort of all these players. It, it just give you a great experience. But like I said, I, I probably have to say Henrik Larsson because he's just a, 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 an unbelievable all-round player. He wasn't just a striker; he was an unbelievable finisher. His all-round game. He could he could play off the front two, uh, off the, off a striker. He could play from wide. And you see that a lot. The accusation level that he, you know he just played at Celtic for most of his career. So it was it's maybe he's not um, maybe he's not. It wasn't given the credit that you've deserved because it wasn't done at it's you no. Know, it won it. it Celtic's a big club. Don't get me wrong, but it was it, it was. It's not seen as a Barcelona or Bayern Munich or in Manchester United at that time. But then when he did leave and he did go to uh, to Barcelona he fitted straight in and he, he was good if not better than the players he was playing with as well mm-hmm. and um, and he was just he learned so uh, well I learned so much from him just because it was he was just just so clever it was small things about um you know I'd have the ball in my hands and I'm, I'm getting it to keep it out so I'd, I'd just throw the ball to the ground and I wouldn't even see him and he'd, he'd have wandered off out wide to the wings at a corner of my eye and kind of then just sort of like bent his run it was almost stealth you know mate it's obviously you didn't see him and then as soon as i put the ball down somehow he was about 10 yards away from me and putting pressure on me to kick the ball and it was just even just things like that he, he'd almost, he I said it was just so clever in everything that he did
0: would you do anything specific to prepare for him would you is it worth watching videos of someone like that before you're up against them
1: it probably is only uh, if I was going to have nightmares, probably do would do that. <laughs> it. But it is you always. Um, you, I mean, even back then, you you always looked at teams and and sort of looked at the dangers, and you'd have the team meetings. But you know, sometimes you can't legislate for brilliance, and you can you can see exactly what they do. But it's another, it's another thing trying to stop them. Brilliant.
0: What a way to finish it. David, thanks so much for your time and uh, insight today. Unbelievable. It's a proper goalkeeping clinic for me today.
1: No, no no problem. Anytime, very Anytime.
0: Thanks so much to David for joining me there for his time and his insight. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. He's definitely a man who's looking deeper at the game, uh, especially on the goalkeeping side of things. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I've never really taken an interest in the goalkeeper area is because for me it's never gone analysis rarely goes beyond player x has made a bad mistake let's analyze the mistake or player y struggles with the ball at his or her feet and can we talk about what that does to their team and those discussions like i said don't really engage me at all i don't draw any interest from them and I think for the goalkeeping community, I think people like David are doing a great job because now they're asking questions of coaches like me on the training field to be like, what are we doing on the defensive side? You can't just talk about goalkeepers. We talk about isolation and training and isolation. Is it related to the game? And you know, I, I come away from that thinking, am I doing enough with the goalkeepers? Is my kind of as, uh, as a back forward defensive line. am I giving enough feedback on goalkeepers with that there as well? So um, I've, I'm have i working with a really good guy at the minute, Geordie King. So I'm pestering Jordy every day and Jordy's top class at the Red Stars. So uh, this has been a, a really good topic for me and, and one that I've really enjoyed. But anything that you took from it and want to chat about, uh, obviously would love, always want to hear it. Um, so thanks to David for that there feel free to get engaged on Twitter give him a mention anything that you liked didn't like the goalkeeper the walls the debate on that there please 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 jump in Um, Gary Kernin, modern soccer coach on Twitter coach Curnine on Facebook now on Instagram Uh, Gary Curnine trying to put some different stuff on there as well so uh, please 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 give us a shout out Um, always appreciate your support thanks for listening I'll speak to you soon
1: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.